You're listening to another episode of the Four Quadrant Podcast, and it is my joy today to be with the Oscar-winning uh, filmmakers behind the new documentary, Tina, uh, Daniel Lindsay and TJ Martin. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Still waking up. <laughs> Still waking up. Uh, so I'm going to guess that you're, you guys are on the, on the West Coast, maybe. Yes. Uh, but separate, we're on the different poles of the coast. TJ's down in LA and I'm in Portland right now. Oh, wow. Um, well, guys, congratulations on the documentary. Uh, for those listening, Tina is a new documentary about the one and only Tina Turner. Uh, it debuts on HBO and HBO Max uh, this Saturday. Um, I, I, uh, the most obvious question is, how did this project get in your laps? How did it even come your way? Well, uh, we'll try to do the like short version of a very long story, I guess. Um, the producers, Simon Chin and Jonathan Chin and their company Lightbox had um, developed a relationship with Tina via doing some work on the musical that was going to premiere in London in 2018. And uh, Simon and Jonathan produced our last film, LA 92, and uh, we had kind of just finished up the run on that and talking about what would be next and they mentioned that they were doing this film but we didn't we honestly just were like oh cool uh we'll be interested to see that when it comes out never in a million years thought about ourselves as directing it so we were kind of surprised when they they approached us to do it um and uh and we were you know we're hesitant for for several reasons um and but you know ultimately as we kind of dove into Tina's story and um, I mean, I, I, there's a whole host of reasons we were hesitant, but I'm, one of the big ones is we just, as filmmakers have kind of been hesitant to do any kind of like music doc or celebrity profile. Cause oftentimes they are just that like a profile or like music docs are just like, Hey, here's a chance to listen to the hits and hear some stories behind how those hits got written. And that's just not interesting to us as filmmakers. So uh, Tina offered something that was unique in that her, her story is a, a, a saga unto itself. Right. And so, and it just happens that in the middle of that saga, you are exploring a iconic musician. So, um, Anyways, we, we, we ultimately just decided to kind of um, dive in knowing that there was enough there to really make something that we could, that could be a film. Do you have anything to add, TJ? <laughs> nope. <laughs> that was, that's, I mean, that was, that was pretty accurate. I mean, to just, I would just expand that, you know, when he says there's a whole host of reasons, I mean, one of them was like, you know, we only knew the broad strokes of her story, but we were, you know, we had concerns about two men helming and authoring her voice you know um ultimately it comes down to tina and we developed a really good rapport with her and so that made us a lot more you know at ease and comfortable with the decision of us being a conduit for her really more than anything um and then yeah a lot of it was we were not necessarily we respected tina immensely and you know came of age in the 80s and was very well aware of who she was but we weren't necessarily tina fans and mm you know, that could, for better or for worse, right? And, uh, but that definitely gave us a little bit of hesitation to drop, to jump in it, but at the same time, it also made every time that we discovered, you know, when we did research, we discovered new facets of her story. Um, it just made it that much more intriguing for us. 
Um, so I think in the long run, it actually probably ended up being a benefit. So there might be some, some people who are uh, significantly older than, than us that would say, why would you need this doc? By the way, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here, actually. Yeah. The documentary is fantastic. But why do you need this? There was the movie, What's Love Got to Do With This? There's been her own book. There's been uh, a musical. Um, what would you say to those people? And, and was that one of those concerns that you had about, about making the doc? No, I mean, 100%. concern <laughs> we had. Um, I mean, to address what I would say to those people is, you know, there is, and this is another reason that we ultimately signed on to do it, is there's something that is just wholly different about the form of a documentary. Um, you know, I all due respect to all of the other mediums that have been done, that is still always filtered through either somebody else's performance of Tina or somebody else's writing about her. Um, you know, this is this is through her, you were hearing her tell you the story. Um, and she is able to reflect and talk about it in a way that those other mediums, they just don't allow. And I think this, it was really like, when we talked about it early on, it was like, oh, this is like, this is the form this story should be told in, in some ways, right? You just to be able to like, um, to experience uh, this incredible, true story um you know from the people that actually lived it um so yeah i just i i, I that's what i would say to those people in terms of was it a concern of ours yes 100 percent, and <laughs> something we talked a lot about and that was you know one reason we came to it was like okay, okay it's a different form but also um i think the fact that it had been told and it had been kind of you know, as if you've seen the film, like it's very clear that that's something we lean into, right? That like the uh, Tina's identity is so, so connected to this story that everybody thinks they know. And that ultimately was a really intriguing um, kind of world to, to explore for us. Yeah, and, I mean, oh, so much, well, no, I was just gonna say so much of it is like, you know, is also yourself like what are we adding to the story of tina like how do we make something that's additive um and not just a carbon copy of what's already been done just in a different medium but it wasn't you know until kind of early conversations with tina where we you know, where it became very apparent that you know the struggles or the pain of her past was still very kind of omnipresent it was always kind of lurking right around the corner and this is when she's nearing 80 years old, um, when we first started uh, making the film. And that revelation was something that was like, just something we couldn't shake. And uh, it also is the thing that kind of gave us the point of view of the film. And, and, and in thinking about it that way, we started looking at the film more as like, well, how do we, can we, can we set a trajectory where it's really Tina's, it's, the one thing that has been missing in Tina, the rehashing of Tina's story, is actually Tina's perspective on her own story. So what you're kind of watching is this, like, there's two characters. It's Tina Turner, and then there's the story of Tina Turner. And what you're watching is these two kind of characters, uh, you know, wrestle with each other a little bit in terms of, like, trying to find some form of acceptance. And that felt, you know, that felt like we hadn't seen that yet before uh, in any other medium. And while you do talk to Tina, it, you, viewers will see Tina, you know, do a sit down interview for you. 
Um, one of those, the things that helped you guys so much is these amazing audio recordings that Kurt Loder had when he was making his novel, which I don't think many people even knew existed. When you came on board, were those sort of given to you? Did you find out, out those existed later? How did, how did that happen? No, that was, um, so it's both the Kurt Loder's tapes from Itina and also the tapes from People Magazine that- Oh, right, um, exactly, yes. Um, no, we didn't know that either of them existed. In fact, we were, it wasn't until we read Itina and saw the way that it's structured as in these, it's almost like an oral history. And it just kind of dawned on us like, oh, there's no way he was like transcribing this in real time. He must have, Kurt must have recorded these. I wonder if he has the tapes. And so we were able to reach out and talk to him. And, um, you know, it turned out he did. It turned out he wasn't sure where they were. And there was a whole, <laughs> there's a whole story of that. But like, um, but ultimately we were able to get them and he discovered more along the way. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, that was, you know, um, there, there, there was a, a definitely a bit of us jumping into this project without fully knowing what it was going to be, and things had to kind of reveal themselves along the way. And those two discoveries being like one of the one of the biggest. Um, in fact, the People Magazine, sorry to just, but like the People Magazine article was a discovery in and of itself. Like we were aware that you know Tina Turner's story was out there, and and we had just assumed that the first time that she talked about Ike was in the truth about Ike was in Itina or maybe press around private dancer. But we, you know, once we knew we wanted to explore the story of Tina Turner, we we're like, well, where, what is the origin story of that? Like, where does that come from? And that led us back to, we discovered this article in 1981 in People Magazine and that the date of that article really kind of took us by surprise. Cause we're like 1981, Tina's like not in the public eye. She's like, doing shows in Vegas and like a hotel cabaret stuff. And, and so that was, you know, we kind of dug into that and realized that the impetus around doing that interview with Carl Arrington was Tina was having trouble getting a record deal and, and, and was really trying to just separate herself from Ike. She's, she was so associated with him. People didn't really realize that they had separated and all this stuff. So it was really in an, in an attempt to, release herself from Mike, that she did this interview. And of course, you know, now the big irony is that that decision connected her to him in a way that she was never really able to escape. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really loved about the doc is, you know, I know, I knew Tina's story. I'd seen the movies, I'd probably read interviews or seen her do video interviews. I remember the Oprah interview, like that sit down, uh, you know, must have been like what 15 years ago or something or 18 wasn't that yeah. wasn't that long ago it's towards the end of the oprah show i think right and yeah did a lot of oprah appearances yeah, yeah. and <laughs> but i i i always remember watching the movie and in the movie there's like one scene where she's doing the vegas thing but it doesn't really like focus on that very much and you guys do an incredible job of especially talking to her manager and about how she found her manager um, and, and, and it ties into that people, um, uh, article about just how rough the years, which I think six or seven, it might've been eight years, like between yeah, leaving years. Ike and, and just getting any hint of success were, um, so I, I really want to congratulate you guys on that. Was that something that you thought, okay, this is going to be a part of the story we, we definitely want to tell, or did it just 
come to you, the more, I hate using this word evidence, but the more material that you found, did it just sort of form in the, in, in the doc that way? Yeah, I, it was actually quite the opposite in a weird way. After reading, because we didn't, we weren't really privy to the Vegas years either. And then after we read about him in Itina, that was the one thing where we had the same thought. We were like, how come no one's really ever explored this, this weird, mysterious, you know, these seven, eight years of where she was kind of, um, you know, as, as legend has it, like she was cleaning houses and she was living on food stamps and um, which some of that's true, um, but a lot of it is just like she was doing like cabaret circuit and playing these, you know, these hotel ballrooms, just trying to make a, a, a buck. And for the longest time, we were kind of trying to figure out how do you tell the full scale and scope, like the full story of Tina Turner through the Vegas years. And, you know, it ended up that there just wasn't enough real archive and there weren't enough people um, that are kind of still alive today to kind of share, you know, that had an intimate relationship with that time period to kind of share those stories. So it was really the other way around when we started actually finding a new POV to, to kind of tell really the like, a little bit more of like the bio doc, but through a different and unique lens. And as we start diving in, we actually start finding more and more archive to at least give a fuller, a more fair portrait and picture of the Vegas years. But I, you know, that each chapter of Tina's life can be its own movie. <laughs> that particular chapter, uh, um, you know, runs really deep. I mean, there's stuff that I wish we, we had time to include in the film. I mean, she was still being terrorized by Ike during that time. You know, he was still coming around and he was always kind of lurking around the corner um, and coming around and, you know, doing weird, weird stuff. like blowing up cars and shit just like yeah there's really gnarly stuff um and you know i wish we had a little bit more time to actually expand those that time period uh, for the for the doc overall even reading the book uh and, and and just doing preliminary research was there any material you found um or any uh info or, or or anything that 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 came up that you were sort of shocked that that ended up being in the doc that that you just did not expect um i mean i honestly the the people magazine thing was a little i don't know if shocking is but it was surprising like i didn't i just didn't expect that uh, the motivation behind it that it even existed all of that was kind of um i think i think kind of interesting i you know i i was i'm not i will not say i was shocked at all but it was a bit of a revelation to hear her talk about, um, and she goes on at length in this, in the People Magazine interview about just like her desire to want to do rock and roll and the record industry wanting her to do R&B, like just, or like, you know, they're like, oh, you're, you're the Pointer Sisters. And she's like, no, I'm not. And, <laughs> and she even says on there, it's like, it's cause I'm black. Like what the, you know, so the, the racial, um, uh, or the racism that she uh, faced within the record industry, again, not surprising, but, or not shocking, but surprising to hear um, the extent to which she had to just really carve out a space for herself um, to do what, you know, in retrospect seems inevitable, right? But was mm -hmm. so difficult to get, to get started. Yeah, I think probably the biggest 
oh, like the biggest overall shock is the this was the revelation for us that at 80 years old she's still suffering from you know suffering or I should say processing her past and that's that because that was so such a so revelatory for us that that's the decision that totally informed the the take and the direction of the entire film so that I think that still probably stands out from from the crowd but yeah there's there's small bits of discoveries along the way when we start diving into the kind of the specifics of her story. But that, that's definitely the overarching, I think, the bigger one. I think that's one of the saddest things about the doc is um, when, when you guys are interviewing her, and, and I think it was in 2019, there is, there is a sadness to her talking about this. She's, it's clear that she, she's not enjoying uh, revisiting even some of the, the, the good times. Did you, did you feel... Did you feel like she felt guilty that she had to do this? Did you, was this for a historical? Like what, what, what do you think her motivation was to do this quote unquote final interview uh, that could lead to this doc? Well, I, I mean, it's probably a bit more practical than that. I'm sure there's like some answer we could give that would make it sound more <laughs> interesting and dramatic or something. But I mean, I think it's more like, okay, she decided she was going to do this. She understood that this would be a part of it. We, you know, we talked about um, the necessity to kind of revisit some of this stuff. And she was on board for that. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's not like she's willing to to talk about. It. She just understands that there's consequences to doing it. So it's like why she's just like, I don't, I don't want to engage in these kind of things be for that reason. It's not like we had to like pull stuff out of her, so to speak. But I think, you know, um, uh, there is a, a kind of sadness to it. And, but, you know, I think it's, um, I, 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 if anything, it's like a reflect, a reflect, reflective sadness is that a thing I don't, I don't know I mean it's like I, it, there's a weird like there were moments in interviewing her where she'd say something she'd just kind of like look out the window right and like you could see her she's in that moment in time for, for a split second right and it's and yeah I mean anyone who lived through that kind of trauma I don't I, there's no way you can like look back at it and be like well it was what it was you know um I just it's inherent, I guess. Yeah. I mean, in, yeah, no, it's an interesting question. And in, in listening to you kind of talk about it, Dan, it makes me think that, that this idea of reflective sadness, it reminds me actually that it's, it's, you know, so much of the journey, even of the film, right. Is this notion of like, like self-love, like, the pursuit of love with a partner, pursuit of love for self, but pursuit of love of your own narrative, like acceptance of your own narrative. And that's kind of what you're watching. This with the film old, old kind of takes a turn and that's kind of the direction it goes in. And I think that's what you're watching. So when you pick up on those things on the film, you're actually watching her process that. And as Tina points out, like it's, she, you know, we dare, we tried to humanize Ike because the reality was they were, she loved him. And there, a lot of people said that was a really beautiful relationship. And they were like, it was like family. They were like brother and sister. And, um, at the beginning, what's that at the beginning, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but that, but it doesn't mean, but I think she held on. She, 
she held on to a lot of that sentiment, right? She was like 18 years old when they, when, when they met. Um, and she'll also be the first person to say that she was one of his greatest teachers when it comes to just performing um, and what it takes to be like uh, uh, one of the hardest working musicians in, in, in show business. Um, and to this day, she's hailed as one of the hardest working, uh, you know, ever. Yeah. And so that a lot of that stems from her, uh, her relationship with like Tina will, so this is, I'm getting around to my point. Tina will be the first person to acknowledge that. So I think, but to her point is, I think she looks back on those years and like anybody wishes she could actually have that time, that and not have the abuse that goes along with it. And that I think is inherently, I can only, I can't imagine how complicated that is to try to look back on your life fondly, but know that it's totally overshadowed by these horrific acts. Um, and I, you know, and I think that's a, just a, she's, that's a, that's a journey of a survivor. And in her case, that's something she, I think she's managing every day. Um, I, I wanted to ask, you know, from a filmmaking perspective, you could have gone down a direction where this was much more of a talking head stock. You could have had another 10 uh, experts, people who were around at the time, even if they didn't know her, giving perspective, doing all that sort of thing. But you didn't. You do this really, uh, what I feel is a, 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 a dicey, a tough dance to, to sort of balance, where you're using the audio that you have, this great audio and the talking heads, how hard was that, you know, in the editing room to, to find that balance that you guys were happy with, with the results in that way? You think we found a balance? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I do. I mean, the, the reviews are pretty good. So I'm going to say you made a, you found a balance. I mean, I don't know how much of Oprah. I appreciate, I appreciate you pointing it out and picking up on it because it is, you know, we're like, deal, you know, we're using a lot of the like, typical tools of the thing, but trying to use those tools in a different way, but it's not like over. I mean, we had a lot of versions of this film. There was like some super meta versions where we opened with her going to a, uh, uh, the, a rehearsal of the musical and <laughs> parts were like certain scenes played out were in the movie and the musical. And it was just like, you know, we eventually kind of like, okay, let's strip that back, but still keep that meta quality um, in some ways. Um, but I don't know. 70 different versions of the opening. Like, we, I'd send Dan, like, here's V71 opening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, no, I appreciate, I appreciate you picking up on that. It's, it's, I, I think once, well, I think once we, to your point, it's not, yeah, it's not littered with, like, a bunch of music experts or colleagues talking about the, her impact on the music industry. I, you know, to Dan's earlier point, like we jumped into this because we felt that there's an actual story in a film, not just, you know, a long profile of how good someone's artistry is. And, you know, maybe that turns off certain fans. And I think we were aware of that, but um, honestly, I think when we figured out the, the trajectory and the, really the point of view of the film, it ended up being kind of liberating because everything followed suit. Right. So if if the story, if the, it was going to be about a relationship with Tina and, the, and with her relationship with the story of Tina, then we should the people telling the story should be the scribes or people who have embodied it. Right. Like Kurt Loder who wrote the book and Carl Arrington who wrote the article, Angela Bassett, who played Tina in, in the film. And 
I think that just by giving us that North Star and, and choosing our, our lane, then it was, practically speaking, I think an audience tends to be forgiving about what the dominant medium is of the storytelling, as long as like the story is just moving forward. So that, that then liberates you even more to say, well, if this piece of archive is doing all that we need to do, I don't need to see a talking head at that point, right? You kind of limit your talking heads only, and you only need them, you only use them when need be, um, as long as the journey is still moving forward and, and the, the thesis is still clear. Well, sorry, I got a real nerdy uh, film talk there. No, no, it was great. Uh, considering how many versions you said there, there were of the film, was there anything left on the cutting room floor that you wish you could have found a way to work in? Because I'm just gonna say, I, I would have loved 30 minutes just on uh, her experiences making Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, and, and did working with George Miller convince her not to ever act again? Uh, or was it just the fact that it was in the desert? So I, I know that's not there, it, by the way, for those listening there, it, it is mentioned that she, there, there's a clip of it, of her, her making that movie for those who know, but. Um, hey, but was there anything like done, that you, you had hoped you could have put in? For sure. And we would have done more with uh, Beyond Thunderdome, but there's uh, licensing issues and all kinds of stuff that were heartbreaking at the end to pull some of that stuff out. But um, the, yeah, I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that, um, that were in the cut, uh, that hit the cutting room floor. Um, I, for me, the one that always I think about is, um, cause it's the one time in interviewing her where she got emotional, like really, uh, like where she, I thought she was going to cry. Um, uh, and it was, we were talking about like fans and like their obsession with like the story and all of this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, you know, and wanting autographs. And I was like, well, you know, you mean something to people and like have it, you know, and just kind of talking about that. I was like, is there anyone that, you know, you can say meant that to you where you would be like, you know, really nervous to meet or whatever and she was like oh yes she's like you know Jackie Kennedy uh was that for me and I was like really and then she like started talking about meeting her one time and um and how you know she was like uh, like her shaking and um but then she went on to say you know I you she was like I always looked up to her and and she she said you know when the way she held herself at that funeral with the kids. And that's where she started to get really moved. And, and it was interesting. The interesting thing to me is it was in my mind, I was like, Oh, she was a young girl watching the funeral on TV and was like, Oh, but then it dawned on me like soon after, like, wait a second, that's 1962, 1963. Like Tina's like in the middle of like, I days there and they're contemporaries. And I was like, Oh, she's watching that. Like, herself going through this thing and and trying to keep it together for the public and so she was seeing a part of herself and we tried so many different ways to include that in the film and it just never we could never find a way to do it yeah. was there anything for you or, or i mean that's probably the biggest one because it's it's it said it i don't you it just you learned a little bit more about tina as a person right so much of this is trying to humanize is Tina and really get see the world through her lens and that one just really stood out I mean this is probably more generally speaking because the film doesn't focus too much as much on like the artistry of it all I you know I would have loved to incorporate some more some more performances just because like she's she's legitimately we started this as like you know 
not necessarily fans, but we respected her and we kind of came out as, as like fans in the sense that like, I don't, she, she holds her own and she's like, she's one of a kind, right? Like her, it's, it's, I think people don't understand that like, you know, it's like she gets on stage and she, she moves in a certain way and it's like, oh, she's just a performer. It's liberating for her. But that is really, that's like thoughtful choreography on her part. And I've never seen anyone choreograph like that since. <laughs> and so to, I think if we could have had a little bit more time to kind of revel in her, her performances and her, and her vocal and, and performance prowess, I, I, wish, I wish we had that time. And then I, the, the last question before we, we wrap up the podcast that I have for you guys about, about, the, pod, about the movie in itself is, you know, uh, there's this great moment where uh, Tina is at the, um, I believe it's the Venice Film Festival uh, press mm-hmm. conference for what love's got to do with it. And she tells the press she hasn't seen the movie and, and she won't see the movie. And there's a disheartened Angela Bassett, who must have been like 28 or 30 at the time, sitting next to her, clearly not knowing that and sort of being shocked, I think. But it makes me, it made me wonder, will she watch this doc? Has she seen this doc? And if she never watches it, are you guys at peace with that? Uh, well, the, just real quick on the Angela Bassett thing. I think Angela knew that she hadn't seen it. That's, it's just more, that I think is a more of a, like the tension in the room with the, the, with the press. press. And And Angela's reacting more to that. Um, but, uh, but um, in fact, Angela, we had in at the film at one point where she talked about the fact like she understood Tina wasn't going to see the film. And um, but uh, yeah, no, we were very anxious about showing Tina the film for just the regular reasons of when you make something and you want, <laughs> you know, you're anxious about people seeing it. Um, and then on top of it, you know, for the people that have when you see the film, you'll see why as well that it can the idea of showing Tina this could be a triggering event for her in a way that wouldn't be healthy. And so we're, you know, we were nervous about it. And, um, but ultimately she, you know, we showed her husband first and we even talked at one point about maybe we only show her certain sections of the film, but ultimately she decided she wanted to see it um, all. And, um, and because of, uh, uh, you know, COVID and, and time differences and stuff. TJ and I were fast asleep when she watched it, uh, but she got on um, Zoom right afterwards uh, with Simon, a producer, and he was. He said she popped on the screen and had a big smile on her face, and he was like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> um, but she was no. She really, she really liked the film. She, um, she, uh, she said a couple things that I think you know that were reported back to us that I think is. Kind of enlightening and one is that you know she said you guys that was it like that that you you though i remember those times and you got it right like that that mm-hmm. feels um accurate to my experience um so you know as a documentary filmmaker that obviously is is a, a big compliment for us um and we were happy to hear that but i think the bigger thing was that she even herself was while it wasn't like easy necessarily to watch it, she was not as um, um, troubled by it, I guess, as she even expected maybe. And so I think if, you know, we've said in the past, like if anything, maybe that does speak to the truth of the statement she says near the end of the film that, you know, that she's kind of coming to a place of acceptance with it. Um, And uh, so, yeah. Um, And 
it was, uh, yeah, getting that report back was a, a very big stress relief. But I think, you know, we would have ultimately, if she had never wanted to see it, I would have been disappointing, but I think we would have um, had to just kind of dredge forward, I guess. Well, uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, before we wrap up, we have four quick questions that we're just going to ask uh, each of you off the top of your head. Um, we do this in every podcast. Uh, first question, if you guys were not documentary filmmakers, what do you think you would be doing? Drumming. Yeah, uh, God. Uh, <laughs> history professor? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. Um, <laughs> Uh, for each of you, the last series you completely binged watched, meaning you didn't just watch one or two episodes, you watched the entire thing. Oh. You never like... watched it at one time, but you watched the entire, the entire series. Oh, I, I probably, this is not as exciting. I think it was Queen's Gambit. I'm trying to think what me and my wife just watched recently. Like all day, one day. Oh, you know what it was? It was Fosse Fosse Vernon. Fosse Vernon. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we binged that. Yeah, that was great. By the That's way. it's really good. It gets way better at the end. Like the beginning's a little rough, and then it, yeah. Like, I, can you think of anything up there? Well, search party is coming to mind, but I we didn't want we had to wait then for the this last season to come out. But we watched everything before that. Um, that still counts. Individual season. Okay. We'll, we'll take that. That counts. Um, <laughs> uh, third question, uh, you know, um, and, and, and this question has actually changed quite often to ask people uh, over the past couple months, uh, if and when you guys are, are, are vaccinated and, and you can go to an airport and, and the world is better and you could go anywhere, uh, you know, just go to the airport, jump on a plane and go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Istanbul. I really want to go to the fjords. Um, so I guess that would be my answer. <laughs> is that Sweden or Nor is that Norway? Uh, yeah, Norway. Norway. Yeah. Okay. Or just um, either Sweden, Norway, just anywhere around the kind of, uh, whatever that region would be called. And then my last question, which is, uh, particular just for you two, uh, where do you keep your Oscar? <laughs> well, uh, I don't have a home right now, so mine is actually with my in-laws. It's with your in-laws? Yeah. I never actually, in all, like, all your, all your, all your medals with your in-laws. That and the Emmy and everything else I, I had boxes for. So I just kind of, it's all in storage. And mine are, you know, on full display in our living room. Just keeping it real. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I did lose my Oscar at one point, though. Like, I packed it in a box for some reason when we moved and then like i didn't know where i put it and somebody was having an oscar party and they asked me to bring it over and i was like i don't even think i know where it is oh, <laughs> and i like no. had a moment of panic of like oh wait where did i put that uh, oh, but I, I uh well i'm glad you, you at least know where it is guys congratulations on tina uh i know on saturday night if you jump on social media people will be talking all about it uh and i think you'll love the reaction in the best way possible <laughs> Uh, but guys, thank you so much and, and best of luck on whatever you're working on next. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.